if we adopt a safety first model when it comes to property investment, we can be an all weather investor. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're going to dig into weatherproof investing. Yes, I want to give you a model so you feel safe when it comes to getting on with it in 2024. Hey, folks, welcome back to the podcast. I'm back. I'm live. I'm here. Uh, yes, you've been listening to repeats. No longer do you need to listen to repeats because this year we're going to have some special episodes and we're back. Yes, baby, it's time to crack on. It's time to crack that world. I'm refreshed. I'm recharged. I've had a wonderful, wonderful time globetrotting Asia. Yes, I've been to Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and now I am back podcasting at the Urban Property Investor Podcast Headquarters, which is simply just a room in my house. But hey, folks, uh, 2024, it's said to be another big year in real estate. There's always something to work on when it comes to property investment. I think success in investing is often defined by above average returns, but really true success when it comes to property investment, it's quite often about you just getting out there and taking some action and getting invested. Too many Australians are uninvested. Too many Australians do not have enough capital in the market. And of course, it is fair to say a lot of people cannot become capitalists without capital. So uh, if you're starting out, you've just got to build up your capital profile to get moving. But if you do have some money and uh, you have built a little bit of equity, perhaps from your own home, there really is no excuse as to not deploy more capital into the marketplace. And of course, 2024 is one of those years where everyone's going to be scared. There's going to be people worried. It's uh, a year of the worry what. And so I want to prove to you today in this podcast that you don't need to worry because quite often people don't invest or stop investing, which is probably the worst thing you can do. And quite often it's from three factors, a lack of financial knowledge. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, don't come from a share background or don't come from a property background and are intimidated by the idea of investing. Uh, the second reason is quite often a fear of risk. Investing obviously carries some volatility. I want to have a chat about what that looks like. And of course, the third reason, which I think is the biggest reason, is ultimately a lack of trust in a financial model. People like the idea of property investing, but what type of property investing, what type of financial model is actually going to safely get you where you need to go? 
So today I want to give you my weatherproof investing model. It's designed for people who are often a little bit worried as property investors. When you think about who is the biggest enemy of the property investor, it is typically the property investor. Human beings are erratic at the best of times, and I often say this. Property is rather reliable. People are rather not reliable. And quite often, human beings really portray the wrong emotion at the wrong time when it comes to being an investor. And self-sabotage really even taking the risk of trusting a financial model and learning more about financial knowledge. And so if you examine, I guess, behavioral economics, the way people actually behave, there is a flow connected to investing. Quite often when the market performance is very, very good, people pile on top of that and ultimately buy at a market high because they like seeing other performance before them. It's kind of a human trait to sort of go monkey see, monkey do. Other people are successful, so I'll pile in. And of course, when the market is plodding along, it's actually not a bad time to buy, but of course, not a lot of people actually get out and buy. So it's kind of this paradox that we suffer as human beings. We feel safe when we see other people going first. And of course, if we were to classify our goals, a lot of people, if you sit down with them, a lot of their goals are around safety. I just want a little nest egg in my retirement. Most people's goals, over 50% of people's goals, are all about safety. I want to, uh, you know, help uh, secure my family. I want to pay off debt. I want to have some money in my retirement. They are nice, safe goals, and they need to be recognized if there's going to be a financial uh, product being a property connected to that. Over and above 50% of people having comfort uh, safety goals, around 25% of people have kind of comfort goals. They want to live a more comfortable existence. They want to buy a better house. They want to drive a better car. They want to be very, very comfortable. They don't just want to be safe. But if I was to break down a human being, I would say 50% of humans I've dealt with over the years 50% of their DNA when it comes to the type of property they need to go and buy is connected to safety. 25% is connected to comfort and 25% is connected to opportunity. Opportunity. The idea that people will get out of their comfort zone to live a more opportunist life. That uh, opportunity comes from the real estate economy. And when we examine really the model of a framework of investing, quite often the investor is 50% driven by safety, 25% driven by 
having a more comfortable existence and only 25% driven off striking of opportunities. So most human beings are safety first humans and there's nothing wrong with that. We're uh, simple creatures, human beings, but of course, knowing that, I think, uh, and knowing how we behave as people, if we adopt a safety first model when it comes to property investment, we can be an all-weather investor. Now, it's really crucial to be an all-weather investor. 2024, the cash rate's going to be higher than what it will be in 2025. Does that mean you don't invest in 2024? Or does it mean you just simply design a portfolio which is designed around all-weather? Whether it's high interest rates, low interest rates, whether it's uh, good times or bad, we want to have the right framework of real estate. And again, um, for a lot of people, they leave it a bit too late and really they have to leave the comfort of buying safe assets to increase their wealth position rapidly. And quite often the biggest risk in real estate is really doing nothing and leaving it too late because what ultimately happens for a lot of people is they have to forgo safety and really tap into higher risk strategies to speed up and accelerate their wealth position. So quite often we think about the marketplace and we see in the media, you know, all sorts of noise. We obviously live in a digital world, so that information is sent to us all the time. Uh, every 10 minutes, there's something beeping on your phone, no doubt. Some of it good, some of it not so good. So human beings in general are facing a lot more data-driven, information, digital-driven drama than certainly uh, back in the day. And of course, uh, generally, people's risk tolerance to the wrong information is... is, is a thing. People uh, see all sorts of doom sent to them constantly. And the algorithms on Facebook will serve you ultimately your biggest fears. They will serve you what you want to know, what you want to see, uh, the, the information you kind of talk about. And so quite often it's hard to get a balanced opinion on the general risk of the marketplace. But it's probably also fair to say that the risks or headline risks like inflation, like interest rates, uh, are quite often very visible. And if we do analyse really how markets tend to get beaten up, it's generally things we don't see. We don't even talk about them. Uh, financial markets are irregular and random and there are phenomenons that just sweep in like a uh, cyclone and just create this level of unpredictability. So generally, these kind of like seismic downturns, if you like, they're very random. And if you think about 
the last seismic downturn, the global financial crisis. I mean, it 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 would no one, no one, the Reserve Bank, uh, the the Wall Street, the big banks of America, no one picked it. Only one guy picked it, and uh, he's so famous now. He's, there's a movie made after him. Um, which is a, which is an awesome movie, right? It's uh, it's all about him going. I'm contrarian to to certain information that he was privy to, but the GFC, no one picked. The Australian government didn't pick it. The National Australia Bank didn't pick it. The Westpac Bank didn't pick it. No one picked it. If we think about even COVID, COVID was a wildly random event, and of course it could have had a big uh, issue on the economy. But Keynesian economics kicked in. The government started to spend a lot of money and save the economy. So we kind of see what happens when these big things unfold. And arguably, a uh, market, wild, random, dramatic thing that comes from left field uh, is actually not so bad for the cash rate. It drops the cash rate. The lever that governments use, that central banks use around the world, is obviously to drop rates when there is a crisis. And of course, uh, you know, if you go back to many of the big major recessive crises, they were all random. Uh, oil crisis when um, the OPEC nations created an embargo. I mean, how do you plan for that? You don't plan for that. Uh, the dot-com bubble, uh, it burst. Um, obviously, investors overheated the dot-com space and the stock market plummeted. Um, these things are just, uh, you know, totally random. And quite often, I think, as an investor, we we often complicate our own world by just going, oh well, you know, the the, the information I'm being served is around interest rates or the cash rate or inflation or what it costs to buy a glass of milk. Uh, at the end of the day, what's going on behind the scenes is investors with the right framework when it comes to uh, trusting the financial process are investing and getting wealthier and getting richer. And other people are sitting on the sideline because the investor's worst enemy is typically themselves. The investor's worst, worst enemy is a boogeyman that you do not see. Uh, it's, it's not there. It's not in front of you. The next financial crisis, you won't know where it comes from. And so uh, I think knowing that information we can just go, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about something that I can't even see. So why am I getting anxiety about being a property investor? Sure, there might be uh, easier times to borrow money. Uh, sure, there might be um, easier times to, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, um, get better capital growth. Sure, it's 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 all probable. That's not the point of the conversation. It's about taking action. And again, like if you think about 
the share market, it is more prone to uh, random walk theory, which is just basically a theory of risk that things are just random and come along and affect the market place. This creates obviously a high level of market volatility as an index in the share market or the stock market. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's why we, we will see stocks and, and so forth go up and down a lot more violently than we often see the real estate market um, do the same thing. And of course, bricks and mortar, if you like, it does carry a volatility range, but because of its market dynamics, it does not exhibit the same level of volatility as the financial markets. And so knowing this and knowing human beings, 50% of you uh, wants to feel safe, I think the asset class is still very much the safest asset class for human beings. Human beings are very emotional people. And so if 50% of you wants to feel safe, then I would just be tackling real estate. Obviously, when it comes to market efficiencies, like you can manipulate the real estate market. It's very hard to manipulate the share market. By manipulation of the real estate market, you can negotiate a better price. You can find a property with unique characteristics. You can create opportunity from a mispriced property opportunity you can uh, be very specific about real estate. Whereas quite often when we hear about things like, uh, you know, economic information, it, uh, it really is a thing to comprehend that the real estate economy in some respects is a lot safer than alternative financial economies. And of all assets have volatility. Real estate is an imperfect asset. It has volatility. But as we know, we can lessen our volatility if we just stick to some fundamentals, fundamentals of real estate. Uh, people like living in major urban areas. They're, where there are good schools, there are good good. Uh, level of economics um, where uh, people um, aspire to live, property values tend to do very well. Property is a shelter. It's a basic human need. It's a roof over someone's head. It's the last thing to go. It carries pricing power. Even the share market doesn't carry pricing power. People will offload their shares before they offload they're real estate. And so when it comes to the idea of the all-weather strategy, we need to understand that real estate is the perfect all-weather product and that the idea of the big unknown is something that the Reserve Bank can't see right now National Australia Bank can't see right now. No one can see it because they come at you from completely left field. And I say that because what you can see is not the drama you think it is. And as such, you've just got to play 
the market for what it is. You've got to play the cards you dealt. Can you reduce your volatility? Of course you can. Of course you can. And this is where all weather investing comes into play. Now, real estate markets carry a cycle. Cycle of the market can be a rising market or it can quite often be a market which is a declining market, which is the counter cycle to the rising market. Kind of weaves along like a snake. How do we reduce our risk? Well, we look for very independent markets of both the upside and downside of the cycle. Secular marketplaces. What makes a secular marketplace? Well, you need to look at phenomenons occurring in different suburbs, in different streets, in different places. Very independent of what is going on in the marketplace. And of course, uh, when it comes to investing and comes to choosing the right asset, you can reduce your volatility in the market by following what I often refer to as the AAA model. Uh, The best building, best location, best land for your budget. The better properties always hold their value and grow the fastest first. And so when it comes to this concept of being an investor, we know that 50% of human beings need to feel safe. 50% of you, uh, if we chop your body in half, 50% of you craves safety, doesn't create crave opportunity and risk. And so there is a real lack of trust in a model inside of real estate, inside of investments. And people don't invest because they don't understand the model. And I think people would invest if they were clearer about what their plan actually is. And once people do feel safe, they start taking action. And again, the more you do this, the safer you feel. Do I feel safe in the real estate market? I feel safe. I'm I'm like the Teflon investor. I feel absolutely safe in what I'm doing. I do not wake up in the middle of the night at all concerned about real estate. And uh, I've got a lot of exposure to real estate. I've got a lot of real estate. Do I feel nervous? No, not at all. I embrace the fact that really the next problem no one can even see. And I think there's an important lesson here as well. When problems do arise, you just got to work through them. And, you know, all new real estate cycles start higher than the last previous cycle. And it's just the way it is. There's always a period of drama that you work through. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's the game. And I think it's important that you should be pre-framed that way, that you should expect a GFC. You should expect a, uh, uh, a an event that comes and slows or throws the process that you're doing into a bit of chaos. And that's why all-weather investing exists because we live in a very uh, unpredictable uh, world. And it's always been that way. 
And so wouldn't it be a smart idea if we invested with a bit of a plan around safety and growing our wealth that way? Now, obviously, when it comes to investing, everyone's different. Everyone has a different uh, starting position. Everyone has a different portfolio size. Uh, Some people have small asset exposures to the real estate economy. Some people like myself have large asset exposures to the real estate economy. Some people's assets are further away from uh, maturity of their growth cycle. Some some assets are, uh, are closer to maturity in their growth cycle. So what people have in their portfolio is always different. And of course, when it comes to what to do next, again, the questions are always a little bit different for everyone. What's someone's portfolio value? How many different places do they have market exposure? How many different typologies of real estate are connected to that exposure? What are obviously the obligations, loans, rates that people have? What is the income and what is the uh, cost to own real estate? And of course, the real estate market is very stratified. There's different markets in markets. There's different price points that have different supply levels, different demand levels, completely uh, different across different levels of pricing and places. And this is what makes real estate unique because it is not all connected to a centralized framework, rather like the stock market. Uh, You could have a city which basically, uh, you know, has not grown in a long time or a street that has not grown in a long time or a house that has not grown in a long time. And of course, uh, maybe the next place for that real estate to go is to grow. And so you're constantly bumping around looking for the next move when it comes to real estate. And of course, There is a risk of missing out in real estate. And I think what uh, the last 12 months has shown is just how resilient the real estate market is. It went down 7.5% and recovered over 7.6%. So effectively, in 2023, the market made more than uh, than it lost. It made back its initial losses when all of those interest rates were getting piled into the economy made those gains back uh, all in one year. And again, um, this is the challenge with being a property investor. A year like that, a lot of people didn't feel safe. The market was buffering around and for a lot of people, they uh, simply chose to not get involved in the asset class. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine. I showed her a property five years ago, um, and she had a, you know, an approval to borrow, borrow money five years ago, and I showed her a property actually here in Sydney, um, and it had a really good floor plan, 
the inclusions could have been better, but I was like, well, you know, you can upgrade these inclusions for the price. Uh, you know, you can put better flooring in and all that kind of stuff. And But the floor plan was really good. And I said to her, you know, you got to grab this. This is perfect for your budget. And I had a coffee with her two weeks ago and she still hasn't bought. She's It's five years, five years of not feeling safe about the world. And I guess the point of today's episode is you're never going to feel safe, so just deal with it. Financial markets, they're like floods. They're irregular. They're random. You know, when there's the, the, things just pop out and the GFC was random and, and COVID was random. But what is not random is microeconomics, microeconomics, GDP. Uh, interest rates, um, what you see on the news, the jobless rate. None of that is random. That is the machine, the cogs going around. We spend so much time talking about that stuff that I think a lot of people just end up missing the boat. Just like my friend, she missed five years of market movement. The real estate she could have put her foot on, it's gone up $200,000 in five years. And if you think about the last five years, it's been a lot of volatility, yet that real estate has gone up $200,000. Will all real estate go up $200,000 over the next two, three, four, five years? No, I probably won't. But that's the point of real estate. There is independent opportunities in the system, very secular, very stratified uh, opportunities that you can look for when it comes to real estate. And of course, 90 day theory is just the idea that you get a lot of growth in the first 90 days when a market takes off. So again, going back to how human beings relate to marketplaces, they tend to buy 270 days into the market current taking off when there's Everyone else has made growth. They pay for someone else's growth instead of buying when there is a simple or moderate level of market movement and taking uh, the opportunity to set them out, set themselves up for the next growth movement. And of course, uh, the idea of 90 day theory is just simple that, you know, when you hold the asset, even if there's no growth for two years on the asset, then all of a sudden there's one quarter of magical growth. It will ultimately be the one quarter you want for your portfolio. That's where the real estate goes from 600 to 675 or 600 to 700 quickly. And again, that that's the model that you need to deploy because the risk of missing that out just pushes you further out, pushes you to the less impressive areas. It pushes your risk up. By not having the right asset, you actually are also playing the time game and the location game and your risk profile increases. So weatherproof investing is the model. And when I look at a wealth allocation framework 
and I study people. Remember, 50% of people, 50% of us, a person, um, wants to preserve their lifestyle. They want safety. They don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They don't want to try new things. So knowing that, that's a great, uh, I guess, way to examine finding an asset for people who don't want to get out of their risk uh, and preserve their lifestyle. Obviously, 25% of us want this comfortable middle ground or 25% of our, I'm going to say body. 50% of our body wants to preserve risk. 25% of our body wants a comfortable middle ground. Kind of like, yeah, I'll take a little risk. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get too far out of my comfort zone. And then 25% of our body wants to do something about the position we're in and aspire to a new lifestyle, enhance our lifestyle. Uh, we want to enjoy life. We want to have more holidays. We want to enhance the way we operate in this world. And so obviously when it comes to an allocation framework, when someone takes on little personal risk and lives in a world of safety and leaves it too long, what happens is they have to accelerate their, uh, their situation because they have very few years left to invest and instead of actually working on a model of, uh, of safety in their asset choices, they choose an unsafe asset because really what they need to do is make up for the shortfall of not investing just at a normal pace, tone, and rhythm. And so what happens is people's risk spectrum increases the more they don't actually invest. And so knowing that, really, there is no good time to invest and no bad time to invest. It really just comes down to the model of allocating the right property which is designed for an all-weather event process or model during your tenure of ownership, an all-weather investment. And so when I help people invest in real estate, understanding that most people want safety uh, and a little bit of middle ground comfort in their assets, but they want to enhance their lifestyle, well, all of a sudden, you have to choose an asset which goes, okay, well, you are becoming a property investor to enhance your lifestyle. You actually uh, want this comfortable middle ground, which uh, is you know, not uh, putting every single penny into real estate and living on beans and rice, but you want a very safe investment to get you where you need to go. And so if you were to think of a property, you just now need to think with that property, can you create a blended level of diversification from a single asset? 
And the answer is you can. You absolutely can. The first way to look at it, it is, again, uh, a proportion of the asset, call it 50% of the asset, should be suitable for the preservation of your wealth, the preservation of your life journey. And again, when we look at what that looks like, is the asset safe for your retirement? Is it suitable to play the long game of real estate? Is it going to cost you a fortune to repair and maintain? Is it going to mean you're going to have to take on risk by knocking it down and rebuilding a property? Are you going to end up having to replace the roof? What is your safety strategy with the asset? Is it suitable for your retirement goal? This is the first thing that uh, an asset creator like myself has to think about the preservation of your safety because a lot of people want safety first. Now, I meet a few fireballs over the years that do not care about safety. They just want to go to enhance lifestyle and make more money. And uh, the type of things they do are higher risk than the average type of investment most people want. They'll do developments. They'll do... Uh, you know, trickier stuff because they're looking for a accelerated and enhanced risk from the verse reward from the asset, but they and they do not care for safety. So again, speaking broadly here, at a general level, most people want a lot of safety in a single property, but they want some blended diversification from a single asset. So the first uh, job, if you like, is to choose a nice, safe asset. Let's just say it's a nice, uh, modern house, uh, by way of example, a nice, modern townhome or nice, modern apartment in a good location. It can uh, ultimately go for the next 50 years without too much trouble coming your way. There's not going to be too much uh, problems associated with the asset. And so it ticks the boxes as an all-weather investment when it comes to safety. Then obviously you want a proportion of the single asset to provide comfort, that middle ground risk. And I find for most people, comfort comes from cash flow. Comfort comes from cash flow. Properties with uh, good income profiles that are not heavily negatively geared, not costing six, seven, eight hundred dollars a week to own. They just uh, mean you take a hundred bucks out of your back pocket or two hundred bucks out of your back pocket a week, which you can afford, and you get this comfortable middle ground. It's it's not. Uh, it's not high risk whatsoever. And so still today, people can spend, even with the interest rates the way they are, uh, you know, um, on the right property. And if you even consider some of the tax deductions and depreciation you, you can claim back, uh, you can still own a good asset which is not 
uncomfortable to own. So you can see with the asset allocation, you are trying to go, okay, from this single property, we want to focus 50% of it on risk, 25% of it on you being comfortable so you can hold the asset. If you're uncomfortable, you won't hold the asset because you won't like its cash flow profile. And then, of course, the asset needs to provide growth and growth ultimately provides opportunity. So again, you might break down the asset portfolio or the single property through this blended model. And again, you might go, okay, well, 25% of it, let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's do something aspirational. Let's renovate the property. Let's build a new property. Let's, uh, uh, you know, buy a property which is at a discount. We might try and uh, push the enhanced lifestyle button. Now, again, everyone's different. Everyone will have a different risk spectrum. Some people want 100% safety. Some people want 33% safety, uh, 33% middle ground, and 33% enhanced opportunity or the ability to enhance opportunity. And again, this is the model when it comes to the all-weather model. You've just got to break down an asset and go, okay, well, that's a high-risk asset. That's a low-risk asset. Uh, if you want to be a property investor for 20 years, I think a good blend of you know at least 30% safety 30% middle ground and 30% aspiration is perfect because you'll find an asset which ultimately pays for itself that's got a good uh, safe profile, but you can make some money out of it. And so weatherproof investing or the model that I teach is often referred to as the value investing model. Really, when you drill into what is value investing, it is rather simple. We choose an asset where the tenant profile is strong and over time, the ability to raise rents on the tenant is just a natural time-bound process. It's just going to unfold. And what happens is you might buy a property with a 5% rental return gross today and in 10, 15 years, that will become a 7, 8, 9, 10, 11% growth, gross uh, income return. And of course, again, that appeals to that middle ground comfort risk tolerance of human beings. And again, the value model is really broken down. There are three uh pieces to the puzzle as to how to fund an investment property, the tenant, the tax man, and you. And ultimately, if the tenant, for example, is paying 73% of the cost to pay for the real estate, tax man's paying 21%, that means you're paying 6%. And again, the reason that is part of the all-weather model is for a lot of people, they don't want to be paying 15, 20% of the cost to run an investment property. They don't 
necessarily even have that to run an investment property. And so eventually, uh, if you buy the right property, obviously one which even carries depreciation, you can uh, use in the first really 10 years of ownership a level of depreciation and tax deductions to prop up the asset before the asset goes to a more positive geared or positive cash flow place. And quite often we think about buying an investment property, we think, oh, it's negative $200 a week at the moment or $100 a week at the moment. Uh, I'm not going to do that for 30 years. Well, the truth is you don't have to do that for 30 years. Most investment properties by virtue of rent increases if they're in the right uh, neighborhood will reach a break-even point uh, you know, within six, seven years and then a positive geared point, then a positive cash flow point where you're literally getting paid more uh, than it costs you to look after the asset. And uh, really that dissipates your ability to even get tax deductions because you're actually earning more money and you ultimately end up paying more tax. But that is just the way it works. Weatherproof investing is about using a uh, model where you are identifying, okay, I want a level of comfort in my investment model. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I want to use tax deductions, tax breaks, depreciation, good rent, good location to drive rents up and ultimately uh, when you're positive geared on a property or positive cash flow on a property, you're weatherproof, absolutely weatherproof because the interest rates don't affect you and uh, you just simply are immune to bad weather and those freak storms that I've sort of talked about. Obviously, in the weatherproof investing model and value-based investing, you need capital growth. Uh, capital growth is going to make you wealthy. Um, rental growth will support your wealth, but capital growth is going to make you wealthy. Now, of course, the in general terms, the higher the capital growth rate, the lower the yield. There's been a compression usually on those type of assets already over the last 100 years. And you might get accelerated capital growth, but a very low yield. And so what happens is some of the best real estate in Australia today, you know, it could be worth six, seven, nine million dollars and it goes to $15 million very, very quickly. Uh, it's got a high capital growth rate but the rental return is too low. And so when you go back to the wealth allocation framework of all weather investing, uh, if it's one property, does it have the right blended risk profile? That property that I just talked about is fantastic for capital growth. It's got a lot of enhanced uh, risk. It's got a lot of in aspirational risk to it. Uh, you know, the $9 million property that become the $15 million property or the $2 million property that becomes the $3 million property or the $1.5 million property that becomes the $2.2 million property. Uh, lots of good capital growth. The problem is that middle ground. A lot of people can't make up the middle ground loss of cash flow. 
And so, again, uh, when it comes to this idea of investing, and, it, and the reason I wanted to do this show is I think 2024 is one of those weird years where people just need to put some faith in the asset class, the asset class, because most people uh, don't feel safe. Uh, most people don't know their middle ground, what their numbers are, and uh, a dream of living a better lifestyle. Why simply dream when you can do it? And again, um, going back to a blended, diversified piece of real estate, it may be as simple as a nice, safe house uh, in a good uh, location, uh, a nice, good rent in a to a good tenant, and adding some value to the property. A very blended model, but a very good model. It ticks all the boxes safety, middle ground, and aspirational risk. So, you know, invest for the long haul. Uh, I think it's, I'm investing this year. Um, I've got my foot on a deal, uh, which I'm excited about. Um, but, you know, th that's, th this is the thing with real estate. A lot of people get greedy uh, when, you know, times are good. Um and uh, sell too early. You know, they, they buy too late, sell too early. And a lot of people don't buy and get scared. The best way to measure your investing success is not whether you're ultimately beating the market, but whether you've put into place a good plan and the behavioral discipline that is likely to get you where you want to go. So there's my all-weather real estate plan. It's a good plan. It gets people where they need to go. Do other plans uh, allow for more risk and more volatility and uh, bigger opportunities? Of course they do. Um, do some uh, property plans actually not actually have a plan? Of course they do. Are some uh, property models just pie in the sky? Of course they are. But I think you would agree if you just take a little bit of safety, a little bit of middle ground and a little bit of aspiration, you put those three together, you've got a very good wealth framework for an asset. No one can argue with that. There's a lot of evidence around it. So if you like the idea of just getting on with it, use my all-weather investment model. All right, folks. I uh, hope that was helpful. Uh, good to be back. Let's tackle 2024. Let's make it a big one. All right. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.